Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I'm Joe. With me as always is Mitch. Shalom. And we're continuing with our A to Z of Massive Attack. People a- say we don't stick to anything. A to Z. A to Z. We're Z. Australian, so it's Z. Yeah. So when we get to the end, we're going to do ZZ top. Yeah. Anyway, our second of our A to Z. Today, we are looking at B. We're going to go back. We are. We have to go back. Back to 1985. Yes, the heady days of 1985. Do you remember what you were doing? <laughs> no, I was just trying to work that out. But before we're too ambiguous, B, we are talking about the movie Back to the Future. Now, I thought about this a lot. I don't think I saw this at the cinema. Huh? I was trying to work out where I was in 85. I was in living in Adelaide in South Australia, and I don't think they had cinemas in 1985, no. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really can't remember seeing it at the cinema. I can remember seeing it probably the year after when I was then living in Melbourne, and we had that sort of end of term just before the Christmas holidays where they bring the video into school and we watch a lot of movies. Same Teachers as, can't be bothered teaching anymore. No, the same time I saw, I think it was Karate Kid and something else, Howard the Duck or something like that. I, I can remember seeing Back to the Future on video at that stage. So yeah, I don't think I saw it at the cinema. I did see it at the cinema. My auntie took me and my cousin and we went to the Montmorency Cinema. Oh, yeah. Yes, which doesn't exist Highfalutin. Anymore. Yeah, it's just this little single cinema in Monty, a very tiny little one, and I saw that. Because I remember her picking gags early. Like, there's a gag in it where it's like, just give me something without sugar. And he gives him a coffee. My auntie, I remember going, a coffee. And like, yeah, so she sort of, I remember that. I don't know why. I have a very weird memory. Like, I remember things vividly, which are ridiculous. But then when it comes to things that are important, forget it. Yeah, so that's one weird memory that I saw at yeah. the Montmorency Cinema. That okay. and Fox of the Hound. I remember being really upset about that. So I assume something dies. The Fox? Or the Hound? I don't know. Oh. Something happens. I saw the Fox and the Hound with my dad when, this is probably a little bit earlier before that, because I think I was still in primary school when that came out. And he fell asleep in the cinema and was snoring really loudly. <laughs> and people were like, well, that man over there snoring. And I was very embarrassed, even as a young child. But yeah. Speaking of snoring in cinemas, just to go on other tangents, a friend of mine went and saw 1984 and someone fell asleep. In, yeah. <laughs> and someone fell asleep during that. And apparently now, Danny cannot watch 1984 without bursting into laughter. <laughs> Especially during the torture scene with the rat chewing through the guy's face. Was that where the sleeping Because that's when the sleeping happened and this guy snoring throughout. That's all he could think of when he watches it. Right. Anyway, so back to the future. Yes, tangents. Back to Back to the Future, now that we've talked about tangents. So anyone that doesn't know, Back to the Future was a 1985 movie co-written by Robert Zemeckis. Yep. With, uh, what was the dude's name? Bob Bob Gale, Gale. who was his writing partner on a few things. Used cars. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Produced by Steven Spielberg. Mm Mm-hmm. And Amblin Entertainment. Starring Michael J. Fox, who wasn't their first choice, but we'll probably cover that He was their first choice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was their first choice. Then he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So they got Eric Stoltz, and then he didn't quite work out. Eric Stoltz turned out to be a turd. Yeah. I could be paraphrasing a little bit. Maybe. So, yeah, so they went back to Michael J. Fox, who sort of rejigged his schedule of family ties. To the fact where you just didn't sleep. Mm, This explains why he looks a bit tired in some of the Mm. scenes. But anyway, yeah, Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly, the main character. Christopher Lloyd playing Dr. Emmett Brown. Doc Mm. Brown. Yep. Who was probably the second biggest character in the movie, you'd say? The car was probably the second biggest character. Maybe. Mm. It's a pretty iconic car. Yeah. But yeah, it's a story of a teenage boy and his friend who's a mad scientist, you'd probably say. Don't explain how they're friends. Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. And there, and there is no explanation <laughs> no. of why they're friends, how they're friends, why they're friends, anything. But... Just an Doc- aging old man with a teenage friend. No questions there. Of Nothing course. sus. It was 85. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Doc Brown invents a time machine out of a DMC DeLorean, mm-hmm. which wasn't a great car by all accounts. No. Just looked cool. Is that a redundancy of- by saying DeLorean Motor Company DeLorean? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? 
Is that what DMC stands for? Yes. All right. Anyway, it was one of those cars that kind of looks better than it is, because I, th- I think they're made out of aluminium. They are, yes. Or aluminium in America. It would be, I suppose, yes. Yeah. I think they're made in England, though, aren't they? I don't know. Anyway, this isn't the D for DeLorean episode. That's this next is- week. <laughs> this is- How's your alphabet? <laughs> but anyway, I'm probably going over a bit too much of the details, because I'm sure most people have probably seen Back to the Future. It's nearly a perfect film. As I said, I, I didn't see this in the cinema at the time. I definitely saw it in that mid to late 80s time and as a teenager I've probably seen it 20-30 times probably since then I've seen it about another 10 Mm. but I wouldn't say I've seen it in the last couple of years I'm watching it again just recently when we decided that B was going to be Back to the Future. There was a few things I really and I noticed. I wanted the B movie and you shat on that. Well, the other options, I think, were Batman and I can't remember what else we were... Batman saying. Turner Overdrive. Probably. I missed that one. Yeah. Mm. The but Barkman books. We could have. Yeah. I, I can't remember. No, but no, some, of, some of the things I really noticed watching it again now is product placement. Oh, yeah. I noticed that too. Like, I, Ridiculous. I, I remember them being a lot of talk about Pepsi mm. and even even more so in the sequels, but I don't remember as much of the other product placements. Texaco, Nike. There is just tons. His Toyota Ute thingy. Kelvin Klein underwear. Yeah, it, it is, you could call it product placement in the movie almost. AMC, was it? The t- what was his, his Walkman? That got a bit of product placement. It wasn't Sony. No, but yeah, there was just bits of it that I kept thinking, I wonder if that's intentional. And my wife was watching it with me and she's like, of course it's intentional. They just, you know. I mean, Texaco's in all of them. Like, there's modern Texaco. When you get to the sequels, there's future Texaco. So yeah, that was obviously a big deal. He was wearing a... When he jumps on the back of the dude's car, he's got a cap on. And there was something on that. I forget now. Bank of America or one of those. It's so much. Like, yeah, it was... Yeah, there was just tons of product placement. And the other thing that I really noticed in this first movie, which is, to me, the best of the Back to the Future movies, is how bad an actress the original Jennifer was. I, I, you said that before I rewatched it this week, and I didn't notice. Like, she, I don't think she had anything to do anyway to not- notice that she was bad. Well, she really is like a throwaway character. It's ah, just nothing a few it. minutes at the start when you're in 1985, and then when they come back to 1985, at the end so she doesn't have a lot to do in the movie but she's very wooden yeah I didn't even notice she had so little to do I didn't notice now you mentioned that this is almost a perfect movie almost, well maybe perfect when I say almost it's not like I have a caveat saying this is wrong I just there's not much wrong with it no I can't pick anything it's so well thought out that there is stuff set up in the opening scenes that get played out later on there is nothing wasted there Definitely. is nothing it's something I've been figuring out or using a lot for movies lately is earned like a movie hasn't earned the right to do that yet or this hasn't been a, it earns everything it does I mean to a point where it's almost too convenient it's like I mean the, the only plot point I say would be the fact that he gets handed the flyer about the um, lightning striking the tower at that time and the numbers on the back and he goes see she loves me because look what she wrote about it and that brings up the, the clock yeah, tower the bit clock tower, that's yeah. the only really forced bit like there's a few things they're not forced but they're there all the plot points that are used later on or they're reused or they, they're important points for later the only one that's sort of just a little forced is that one where he, do, he could I think they could have cleaned that bit up if anything that's all maybe I, I think though multiple viewings you probably pick that sort of stuff up more I think if you if you went into this cold and you watched it you wouldn't notice no. the little nods quite as much god no but it's a quick movie too yeah it's it's a fairly long movie it's over an hour and a half but it punches but yeah it, there's no real wasted motion it got to, it. The, got to the dance and I'm like are we here already it just mm. didn't t- seem to take long it's just like oh we're here wow okay cool but yeah it, it's just so clever and internally consistent and that's the thing with a lot of sci-fi and, as, and particularly time travel movies I, I will think too much about a lot of them when I see them and, you know how does that work this isn't going to work or what about this this one doesn't give me any of those queries 
basis. Like, okay, you've set up the rules of time travel in here. They are set up, and you adhere to them the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't break. Yeah, so the, the premise of the movie as far as how they deal with the time travel and the changing the future, I really like how he's got the photo and the picture of his brother and his sister start to fade as things change in the past. So what happens is Marty goes back to 1955. Well, and how he gets there for a start, his best mate who's a professor, is a he builds a time machine, yep. and he's there to see the results of this time machine, and it's run by plutonium. And the only way he could get plutonium to run this was to get it off the Libyans who he said he was going to build a bomb for and in doing that the Libyans came looking for their bomb and were not happy so he tries to get away in the time machine happens to go back to 1955 has no plutonium to get back so when you say he you say Marty Marty, Marty. gets away Marty. yes because the the Libyans are shooting at Doc and he jumps in the, the DeLorean to get away and makes it up to the miraculous 88, 88 miles, miles an hour and sets off the what is it? The flux capacitor yep. that starts the time machine? Yeah. So he's, he's stuck in 1955. Doc put that in because that was the day he discovered time travel. Well, he fell over the toilet, hit his head, and that's where he thought of the idea of a flux capacitor, which would give him time travel technology. So that ha- also happened to be the day that Marty's parents met, because he lives in a small town in America. They're all still living in that small town. Yeah, so Marty goes out, finds himself in 1995, goes looking, and this is where the movie is very well made. Like Zemeckis, I don't know how many films he made before this. He made used cars. But I don't think he made Romancing the Stone before this because apparently he'd written this, well, they'd written the script for this and no one wanted to buy it. 20 studios passed on it or something. But based on the fact that Romancing the Stone was such a hit, he then had a bit of clout behind him and sort of went, you know, I've written one successful movie, I can do this one as well. And this actually became the highest grossing movie of 1985. Spielberg got involved, so it was good. But um, yeah, a lot of studios didn't want it because it wasn't raunchy enough. Hmm. Because things like Porky's and um, Revenge of the Nerds were popular at the time and making money so they sort of wanted a movie like that Disney passed on it because it was too raunchy because it hadn't involved a mum falling in love with her son even though it's not intentional and not reciprocated good on whoever said yes and it's like I know it must be Spielberg I guess yeah, and Amblin so. and things yeah. like that mm. but it's funny though that you say that it wasn't that raunchy so obviously the target audience is probably sort of your teens mm. early 20s watching it now there was a lot more language in it than I thought there was I'm noticing that with a lot of movies at that time they seem to swear a lot more like Especially what we call kids' films or whatever, they a bit more loose with the old shits and asses and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not loose on, shits. I was going to say, depending on what they had to eat, they would be <laughs> loose with the shits. But but yeah, I I noticed there was a lot more swearing than I remember in it. I don't know if. Maybe I saw it on TV and they cut some of the swearing out. Maybe. But Biff definitely swears a fair bit. There's a few sort of throwaway swear words just for the hell of it, really. Mm-hmm. But considering it was 1955, I don't know if people would be wandering around swearing as much as they did. Ah, oh, they would have. Probably. Loved a bit of swearing back then. I don't know if it would have been those words. Would it? Who knows? But as far as that goes, I think the accuracy of what 1955 was was very well done. There was nothing that seemed out of place. I, obviously not being from 1955 yes. myself. I, yeah, I, I, I really come in. I don't remember. <laughs> but there wasn't anything glaringly obvious. Like, you didn't watch it and sort of see cars that were from the 60s and sort of go, oh, you know, that wouldn't have happened or, you know, they wouldn't have dressed this way in 1955. I thought that was very well done. And the fact that they kind of tied in enough Marty coming from 1985 and adding his own little touches like he meets the guy that's going to turn out to be his dad played by Chris McGlover and initially Chris McGlover was meant to meet Marty's mum but 
due to the change of events, Marty ends up being in the place where his dad should have been and he meets his mum. Yeah. But then he goes and convinces his dad that he should, you know, go and ask his mum out by playing him a Van Halen tape or something like that on his Walkman while he's asleep and sort of throws out a few references like he's Darth he's Vader from, from the Planet Falcon. Falcon yep. And just things like that I, I really like because they're, they're nice little touches of Marty, you know, giving him things that he wouldn't have known about yep. in 1955. But it's not too over the top for it to take you out of the fact that it is still 1955. Again, like even when they're in the dance and he plays the, the Chuck Berry song and there's that little joke about that as well. They're the ones that I find kind of forced. They're it's really like, it's me, Marvin, Marvin Barry, your cousin, Chuck. You know, it's not subtle, but it's not a subtlest of films. No, but I- there are other bits that are, but there's, those ones are a little bit done. And if anything, his little guitar solo sort of, I tuned out during that. I, I like it. The, he does it though and then when he talks to like his mum later right. his mum's sort of like oh I'm not really sure about that sort of thing but to me that didn't take too much away from it no it doesn't doesn't take away from the film it's just, it is what it is so we've got the characters so you've got Marty we've talked enough about Marty now this is played by Michael J Fox who was a star in the making or a star at the time one of the main stars of Family Ties yep probably him and Tinny Others were probably the breakout stars no. oh definitely no yeah, I know you like your Tinny Others love you're the one Meredith Baxter Bernie or was she just Meredith Baxter then I don't, I don't I know I think she was Meredith Baxter Bernie but one of the reasons we talked that he, he was their first choice to make this film but he had commitments to family ties Meredith back to Bernie that you just mentioned was pregnant so she couldn't do the workload that was needed so Michael J was picking up a lot more storylines and a lot more of the workload of the show so the producers were like we cannot let him go sorry so they picked up Eric Stotts and put him in instead now they filmed 15 days of footage I think with Eric Stotts there is footage out there and there are photos out there if you want to have a look of Eric Stotts playing Marty McFly now the iconic look of Marty McFly is Joe could, if you I would say what's he look like in the first movie alright so probably the main thing that you would think of would be the Nike runners, mm-hmm. jeans, yep. denim shirt, yep. and the sleeveless orange puffer jacket, puffer jacket over Sleeve, the top. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like how there's a dude that wrestles for New Japan that wears that gear, Kashida I think his name is, and mm. he wears that Marty McFly type gear. Anyway. Yeah. So that's his look. So yeah. it's Iconic. Not, yes, where if you look at Eric Stoltz, he looks like a greaser. From the footage I've seen, he doesn't wear the puffer jacket, he's wearing a leather jacket. Hmm. So, yeah, apparently he was a bit of a wanker on set, like he would only be addressed as Marty, like he would not answer to any other name. And there's a fight where he fights Biff, we'll talk about Biff in a sec, he tackles him in the um, cafeteria, and nearly broke his ribs okay. and he kept hitting him harder and harder each time and Biff's like I'm going to get him when we do the scene <laughs> in the prom I'm going to get him I'm going to get him back for this because he's taken a few liberties and he was sacked before he got a chance to get him back well, it's funny you mentioned Biff because Biff is played by you Thomas F. Wilson who yeah I used to get called Biff when I was in high school because I had you a look flat top exactly and I looked like, like that you. <laughs> originally Biff was going to be played by a different actor Oh, really? And because Eric Stoltz is a bit taller than Michael J. Fox, and he was taller than the other guy that was going to be Biff, they actually brought in Thomas Wilson to be Biff, and the guy that was originally meant to be Biff turns out to be one of Biff's gang instead. Ah. Uh, Jughead or Bonehead or something, I think his name was. Not but- Match, because do you know who no. played Match? No. Billy Zane, oh, in really? his first acting role. Yes. Ah. Yeah. And initially as well, the role of 
I think it was the girlfriend was played by someone else because they had a bit of screen chemistry with Eric Stoltz as well. But when they got rid of Eric Stoltz, they brought in someone else to play Jennifer as well. But that's so. also because she was um, way taller than Marty. So yeah. to get a shorter actress in to be... Because um, Michael J. Fox was like five foot four and a half or something. Yeah. So, yeah. And, a shorter actress in. and I think because of the fact that he was so short as well meant that Christopher Lloyd was kind of stooping over to speak through him in a couple of the scenes and that developed Doc Brown's kind stoop. of stoop as well. So Michael J. Fox being cast as Marty caused quite a few ripple effects you could probably say in the movie. Well, the fact that they had to recast Biff, they had to recast other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess so. Anyway, but I, It was all worth it. It was, because Marty McFly owns this role. Yep. I think I've seen quite a few Michael J. Fox movies since. Obviously, Team Wolf being Secret the other of my big success. one. Secret of My Success. Poison uh, Ivy, the camp movie. I want camp yeah. movies, damn it. I love them. Go back to my old episodes where I talk about camp movies. Just doesn't matter. It just <laughs> doesn't matter. Sorry. Sorry. But Meatballs rant. What I'm saying is that Michael J. Fox has done a lot of movies since, but for our generation... He is Marty McFly. Well, this is his year. Because we all... Well, I was, anyway, watching Family Ties. It was family viewing. It was... You know, we had to watch it. This came out, and not long after Team Wolf came out. So he was probably the pre-John Cusack for me. This was it and a bit for... Michael J. Fox was the guy. You know, I was looking at De Niro's or Pacino's or anything like that. I'm a... What, 85? I'm a 12-year-old kid. So who am I looking up to? I'm looking up to Alex P. Keaton. I'm Marty McFly. Whatever the, char- whatever the character's <laughs> name is in Team Wolf. I don't know. But yeah, he was the guy I was looking up to. Plus, he was in, like I said, the Poison Ivy movie. He got to get it on with Nancy McKeon. Yeah. And she was the best thing from... Facts of Life. Facts of Life. God exactly. damn it, yeah. But yeah, I, as far as, as you said, being a perfect movie, there is just bits of this movie, no matter how many times I've seen it, it it's still like I pop for them. Mm. There's just bits of this movie that I just think are so well done. The fact that Marty encourages his dad, what's his dad's name? George? George McFly? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Encourages him to go and ask out Leah Thompson, who is playing Marty's mum yep. back in 1955. And the fact that he goes up and, and instead of saying destiny, he goes up and says, I'm your density. <laughs> I, that bit just cracks me up every time I watch this movie. And as I said, I've seen this movie a lot my of bit, time. I wouldn't have called it my favourite, but watching it again this week was when he, don't tell me anything, and he plugs him into his helmet and he's sort of like got that thing on and he's like, you're this, you're that, you're a Boy Scout, you're trying to raise money for sailors and this and that. And he goes, no, I'm from the future, I'm this. Do you know what this means? This doesn't work. <laughs> it's just like, that's my favourite bit. I don't know why that became my favourite bit this time around, where I wouldn't have thought that was it beforehand. Interesting, Chris McGlover, who plays his dad, well, he plays a young version of George McFly and his dad later on, he was trying to channel Jack Nance's character from Eraserhead, mm. which is, if you've seen the poster or anything from Eraserhead, the big head character, that's who he wanted to play, that's who he channeled the character on. Now, Chris McGlover is notoriously a bit nuts. A little bit. So, but I guess he's... It was one of his early acting roles in this one, so he didn't get a chance to go full nuts. He was a bit reined in. Yes, he's proven since that he's quite capable, but also a little bit crazy. Yeah, and I think, was that the reason why they didn't keep him on for the sequels? Probably. Because he was just that little bit too crazy? I think, probably. Probably Mm. uncontrollable. Could be. Did you do that movie about rats or something? Ben. No, was he in Ben? It was a remake of Ben. Yeah. He was in another movie with... Charlie's Angels. Nicolas Cage. What was that? Birdie? I don't know. I think Christian Gold was a really good, good actor. But, yeah, going back to Back to the Future, there is a lot of things they got right in this movie. And then they went on to make two sequels. Yep. And I think Back to the Future 2 kind of still holds up quite well. Nowhere near as good as... better than I thought. Well, it, I think so too, but it's still nowhere near as good as the original. I'd right? forgot, because if you're playing the Massive Attack bingo game at home, I'm going to say the Astor Theatre. 
so you can have a drink. <laughs> I actually, they did a, it might have been for one of the anniversaries, but they played all three, and I went and watched all three. And I had not seen two since I think I saw it at the cinema. That's how long it had been. And I remember when it first came out, it's like, this is going to be great. It's set in the future. This is going to be awesome. And I went and saw it, and I remember everyone at the end, when it stops, it just stops. And says, to be continued, and you're like, oh... Like, you, you literally felt the crowd in there go, yeah. oh. Because you were, you were on a ride, and it was a good, fun ride, but you wanted to see where it went. And I remember this being a big deal, because I was a big watcher of Entertainment Tonight back Because of Lisa Gibbons? Oh, yeah. Or John oh. Tesh? Oh, well, yeah. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> Lisa Gibbons, I had the biggest crush on. That was back when it was about movies, not about Cardassians. Or it was about entertainment. Mm. Yeah, so they were saying, we're filming them back-to-back, and they're this. And I, I remember the hype leading up to this was pretty huge and I remember like Pizza Hut had a big deal with it and you can get sunglasses and you know they're all futuristic sunglasses which look so 80s now when you look at them they were kind of like the Bret Hart sunglasses weren't they oh they were different they were like four different ones you could get so it was pretty crazy in that way and I remember it being huge and looking forward to the future that awesome scene in the first one was where Biff is chasing him around the town square on the skateboard where he invents a skateboard from a scooter and has the chase around it's pretty damn cool yeah and then they essentially recreated that with the hoverboards now hoverboards are a thing for the last couple of years where everyone's saying where is it where's my hoverboard you know ironically though they're 2015 in Back to the Future 2 they have flying cars and all sorts of different things but the thing that everyone really drove home is where's our hoverboards it's like more to the point where's our flying cars where's our Pepsi Free or whatever it was Pepsi Pepsi Classic what did I have I forget what it was yeah. yeah but yeah there was a lot of things that they could have picked up on from 2015. But it was such an iconic sequence, hmm. is that hover, where they recreated that sequence with hoverboards, and that I remember Biff, or I don't know what Biff's Griff, Griff's Griff, yeah. his hoverboard was just like super kick-ass at the time, and the special effects for its time were amazing. You go back now and you can see it's all yeah. matte painted in and all this sort of stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, it's fine. But I remember that vividly, and that's it. And I, and then I don't remember, and I saw part three a lot. Like, hmm. it seemed to be on tally more, I seemed to, I'd seek it out more, but if I saw it on the tally Back to the Future 2, I probably wouldn't watch it. If I saw Back to the Future three i would for whatever reason because i think it's a better solid film probably not a bridging film it's a complete film and it ends but they they continue to plant the seeds obviously in the second one leading into the third one with feeling them back to back yeah so there's there's the part where he's watching the the clip clint eastwood's got the like metal under his poncho and he then goes on to do that stole when he fought bill goldberg Ah. but yeah he goes on muddy goes on to do that back in 1850 whatever it is in his shootout with buford cannon but what i found like watching in the three and I'm watching the second one for the first time in a very long time it's like actually this isn't bad oh, it's ambitious know. it's big because the future stuff is all I liked and that's what really what they showed in the trailers and in the Entertainment Tonight specials and stuff so you said the fake jaw mo- you know yeah jaws, the jaws whatever number yeah. and all the, the flying cars and all that sort of stuff so I suppose showing the redacted 1985 wouldn't be much to advertise the movie and you're saying too much of the plot away and I didn't realise how much was set back in 1955 see I think the 1955 is better the fact that they've got the real 1955 they've got Marty from 1985 going back to 55 and then they've got 2015 Marty going back and you've got that whole yeah and it's really cleverly done again it holds together really well in a movie that I'd kind of forgotten because I never really revisited it but it was like oh there's so much more in 1955 than I remember and and it's really well done I was trying to watch it thinking to myself well have they reshot some of the scenes or are they reusing the footage from the first movie and then adding the additional footage it's just really well done Mm. it's seamlessly done yes really 
Yeah, so 2 was a lot better than I remembered. Not that I thought 2 was bad. I just didn't desire to go back. But watching it again and being in the cinema during, you know, a big expo. Mind you, my bum was sore by, you know, 7 hours or 8 hours of Back to the Future. Not the most comfortable seats at the Astor. No. Yeah, the second film is he goes forward to find out something went wrong. While he's there, he actually buys an almanac with all the sporting results and that for the last 50 years or whatever. Then he ends up back in 1955, and this is where young Biff Tannen finds the almanac. No, old Biff, 2015 Biff, goes into the car and sees the almanac, and then he goes back to 55 to give it to himself back then. Okay. To make himself a a millionaire. And then Marty and Doc realise that, so that's why they go back to 1955 to stop Stop. the change to the future. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all very... And that's where he explains the whole different timelines and the whole, this is your 1985, and because this changed in 1955, this has changed... Yeah. the new 1985 sort of thing yeah so I mean it's it's really cool and they resolve it nicely but then it has him going back to he leaves he's back in normal time and his girlfriend relaxedly changes shape and everything yep. he looks like a totally different person and well, he ends true yeah and then he he says goodbye to Doc Brown because he goes no been to the future don't want to go there again I always want to go see the old west see you later says goodbye and that's when he finds out that he died so he goes I'm going to go back and save the dog and that's where it fucking ends yeah <laughs> pretty much and it's like oh you sort of been through and you really want to go. So thank God with modern technology and the fact that they're all available, you can go straight into the next one, which and is a fun movie. It's a really good Western. Like, it's not a time-travelling movie anymore, except for the fact that they've got there and they've got to get back. But the yeah, core the, story is a Western. The fact that they don't jump around as much, they go back to the 1850s or whatever it is, and then they... Stay there yeah. until the very end. What I don't like about the third one is the Season jokes... Top. Well, that's part of it, but the jokes all feel really obvious. Yep. Like, there's the, the Frisbee Pie Company where he's got the, the pie tin that he throws, and then there, there's just so many obvious gags, and it's, you know, they've learned how to kind of do subtle gags in the first movie. They get a little bit more obvious in the second one, and then by the time the third one comes around, it's they're, they're really hitting you over the head with these gags. And... To me, it kind of tarnishes the legacy of the first movie a little bit. Like, I could watch the first Back to the Future, not worry about the sequels, and and I would have been quite happy just to watch that and leave it at that. But obviously, you need to kind of watch them as the package. Don't have to. You could easily leave it as the first one and be done with it. Hmm. The fact that we know the others exist and we've seen them, you know, we're talking about it again. You could easily walk away with the first one and be complete. But if you want to be a completist, there's a cartoon. Yeah. Back to the Future 3 came out in 1990, and a year later they did an animated series, obviously, banking on it still being popular and things like that. Now, do you remember this? No. Neither do I. I I had no idea it existed until I was looking at the Wikipedia, I think it was, that mentioned that there was the animated series. And I was like, how do I not know this? Yeah, because it's not very good. No. Because we watched about five minutes of one, and we go, yeah, it's a bit shit. I don't know if it was ever on TV here in Australia. I doubt it. I'd I'd remember if it was. It's on Kiss Cartoons if you want to look for it. Yeah. So the premise, obviously, pretty simple premise. Any time-travelling cartoon would be. Each episode, they go somewhere different. But it's the family of Doc Brown, who's very different, voiced by Homer Simpson. Yeah, Dan Castanella. Um, Mary Steinberger's back. She's playing his wife. I think Clara. Clara. And Jules and Vern are his kids. And there's Einstein the dog, who's a lot more able than he was in the movie. Well, it's a cartoon. And Marty. And Not played by Michael J. Fox. No. And- or Eric Stoltz, for that matter. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and I mean, we looked at a quick one where they went back to Dickens' time, England and stuff, but 
Um, it was just painful, really. The, the, the five minutes we saw were painful. It may be a bad episode. It may get better as it goes on. But yes, it was a bit annoying. Like, Doc Brown was speaking in, you know, oh, they've got us by the trachea instead of by the throat. And he used, in the five minutes we saw, he probably had about seven or eight sentences where he was using technical terms instead of, you know, yeah, like colloquialisms and stuff. He was looking at something that was kind of shocking and he's like, oh, that's taking away my respiration. Yeah. And taking and my breath like, away. That's holy bovine or something. It was just unnecessary. Yeah. And he was sort of the main character yeah. going by the bit we saw. Like Marty, I would have thought would be the main, but it was a lot more Doc Brown than, than Marty. But yeah, so it was a bit heavy. Yeah. Something wrong with the gravity in the future. Why is everything so heavy? But there was also Telltale Games, which is um, point-and-click adventure games. They're sort of some of the better games of that style. Like, if you everyone remembers the old Day of the Tentacle or Sam and Max or something like that, or even earlier games where you can get it for the iPad, for the consoles, and for your iPhones and things like that, hmm. but it's called Back to the Future. I think it's actually called the Back to the Future Telltale Game. Or I think so. Yeah, and um, the first one's generally free. They're done in episodes, and I've actually played the first episode, and it's kind of funny. Like, the voices are pretty good and you go through 1955 and you collect and it's it's a nice nod if you know the movies themselves you can go back and watch and oh yeah that's this thing here and you sort of know what they are but the graphics are kind of fun the humor's there obviously i didn't like it enough to keep going and get the other four episodes but i i really enjoyed it for what it was it's just i wasn't really playing those sort of games at the time but i saw it was for free and i was like oh yeah and my ipad could run it at the time so i was like yeah that's a bit of fun so there's a bit of um spin-offs when it comes to the old back to the future to me, I'd be happy if Back to the Future was just Back to the Future. But it, looking at it as a whole, it is a pretty good whole. But <laughs> looking, <laughs> looking at Back to the Future 1 itself, as, as we've said, it, it is pretty much a perfect movie. As far as a time travel movie goes, it's nearly perfect. As far as a fun 1955 movie goes, it's, it works really well. It's just good. Just really, really good. Yeah. The fact that it made $381 million worldwide, a lot of people probably agree that it was good, because <coughs> mm. that sort of numbers, you know, you can't really deny. Nope. I, I don't know how much the production cost of the actual movie it was, but that's an awful lot of well, money. Well, I, I don't think it was cheap. I know just by replacing Eric Stoltz, added $3 million to the budget with well, all the refilming that. The refilming would cost them a lot, because back then you were filming on film. You weren't filming on you know, digital video mm. or whatever. So, yeah, that's a cost. But then all the product placement, and you think they were getting a bit of kick back from all those companies. I was honestly surprised by how much was in there. I do remember the Pepsi thing, but I also... Michael J. Fox was the spokesperson for Pepsi at the time, so that was Mm. a big given, but there was just so much else that was in there. Even more so in Back to the Future 2, I think, when they go into the future, which is kind of telling for the future that we live in now, that a lot of the stuff in movies now is super, super Transformers with him drinking his juice box or whatever it was. That's ridiculous. It's more so, but... Yeah, it, for me, I think... I, I don't remember there being this much product placement in 80s movies, but, yeah, watching it again. Well, watching Superman 2, I was shocked how much product placement in that. Well, but, yeah, okay. so, so they, they are there. I mean, Wayne's World took the piss out of it beautifully. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, uh, that's the, the yardstick, isn't it, yeah. Wayne's World? But other than the movie itself, the acting in it, I will mention that I really like the music, going back and watching it again. Mr. Sylvester? Yeah, and it it shows. There's just just the flowing soundtrack in the background and just the tension building of when Doc and Marty are trying to get up the lightning strike on the clock tower and all that sort of stuff. The music is great Mm -hmm. as well. The use of the Huey Lewis song is kind of cool. Well, the the few. There's there's a couple of them, the Back in Time and Power of Love. And a nice cameo from Huey himself in the film. Yeah. Sorry, you're just too loud. But it, it is... 
it is a good film and I really enjoy watching it again and I don't know why it had been so long since I had watched it again but I think this might end up being something that I'm going to drag out but it really years. is like a comfortable pair of pants oh yeah you put it on and go oh yeah this is good I know what I'm in for here. This is great. It's funny because, as I said, I watched it with my wife and I was saying the lines as they were happening and she was sitting there going, how many times have you seen this movie? And I was like, an awful lot. Like, even in the second one, there's a bit in the second one where they go back to 1955 and George punches Biff and he falls down and then Marty goes up and grabs, I think, grabs the almanac out of his pocket. That guy's like, I think he stole his wallet. That guy stole his wallet. (laughs) And something I never noticed this time around when um, the band, he gets locked in the boot of the car they all came out and they called them stoners or weeders or something like that. And it's like, I never picked up on that before. Yeah, they were having a smoke break in the car. Yeah. Mm. But what they were smoking? Well, they were musicians. Of course they were smoking. Even in 1955. That didn't happen back then, did it? I've seen the Johnny Cash movie. That didn't happen. Hang on. (laughs) He did a bit more than that, didn't Johnny Cash? Did he go and live in a cave for a while? That was probably in the 60s. Mm. (laughs) But anyway. It was funny because my son was yelling out and he was meant to be in bed when I was watching it. And for some weird... No, he he seems to know things. He's like, what are you watching? It's like a movie. Has it got a tunnel in it? I don't know why he makes some random questions sometimes. It's like, in the the second one, it does, actually. Yes, it does have a tunnel. You've been through that tunnel. But you're in your mum's tummy. But you've been through that tunnel. Yeah, so that was just a bit strange. Hmm. Does he know something? Maybe he does. Is he like Damien? Maybe he's gone to the future and come back again. Maybe. Mm. That just freaked me out a bit when it's like, it's just a random question. It's like, has it got a tunnel in it? It's like, hmm. What sort of movies does he normally watch? I don't know. It's probably all those Thomas movies you're showing where the trains go through tunnels. Maybe. That's probably what it is. But anyway. Okay. All right. Have you got anything to add about Back to the Future? No, no. There is so much. Like, we can go into all the bits that they foreshadow, I suppose you could say. Yes, I mean, at the start, you got all the clocks, and there's a picture of Harold Lloyd hanging off a clock tower from the iconic, you know, silent film. And it happens later on in the movie. You've got Twin Pines Mall, and he runs over a pine tree when he gets to back in time, back in 1955. And when he comes back to now, it's the Lone Pine Mall. Little things like that are so cleverly put in. The person who invented, the owner of the land, where the... Twin Pine Malls was was Mr. Peabody and his son was called Sherman. Now, if anyone knows Rocky and Bullwinkle, there's uh, Peabody and Sherman, a uh, time-travelling dog, dog and his pet boy Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just little things like that. It's just not important to the plot, doesn't affect anything, but they're just there. And it's just, those are really great when they tie it all in beautifully. Yep. So, yeah, it's just, ah, oh, you want more movies like this. And then we go down with the sequels and they go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of one. <laughs> movies that are this clever and fun. Hmm. Like that, you don't. I suppose Marvel films are almost that, where you've got the fun versus the adventure versus everything. I just can't think of anything of late which sort of rivals it as far as in the, putting all that together and going, this was fun. Yeah, it, it is the total package, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I don't think they make movies as good as this. Anyway. It's been a long time Not since. Not like I've, this, anyway. No, it's been a long time since I've seen a movie that has been this entertaining, this clever, and just this well done. Yeah, because we've talked about movies in the past, like. Um, Primer, which yep. is a really clever time travel film. It's not this fun. No, no, and it's obviously not this sort of budget. No, but yeah, it's clever, but it doesn't have the other factors. Mm. And we've seen other movies that are fun, but you know they fall apart as soon as you're trying to break it apart. You know, saying how does this work? Well, oh no, it doesn't work anymore. Mm. So yeah, this one holds up to scrutiny and is good. Yeah, and you can watch it with kids, like to a certain age. You know, yeah. Exactly. Even with a young age, they probably won't get half of it, but it's not. you're not going to scare them, you're not going to put them off, you can watch it at a very exactly. young age. Exactly, and there's a, as, as we said, there's a little bit of swearing in it, but there's nothing 
gratuitous. Nothing. I don't blow I, I don't it out think, in front of my son. I don't think they drop the f bomb at all. No, no. I think it's just a bit of shit, and, no, and probably not much worse than that. No. But yeah, highly recommended. And if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you've got this far into the podcast and yes. not turned it off and gone and watched. No. All right. Well, cool. next episode we will be moving on to the letter C. We have a few choices thrown in the hat. Mm-hmm. We're not going to spoil anything for you now and tell you what we're going to be watching. Halle Berry Catwoman movie. Let's go. No. All right. Well, that was one of the suggestions, was it? Yeah. I put it in three times. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and I pulled it out twice. No. Uh, and- oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty good movie. No. No, it wasn't. No, we will not be talking about Catwoman. Damn it. Even if it does come out of the hat, we're not talking about Catwoman. <sighs> but... We will be back in a few weeks with C. If you have any feedback for us, jump on our Facebook page. We are facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. Come and tell us what you think of Back to the Future. Yeah. You can tell us it's a perfect movie, or you can jump on there and tell us why it's not the perfect movie. Maybe you think Teen Wolf's a better movie. It does have a wang in it. Does it? Yeah. I don't think it does. Well, Snopes will probably prove me wrong. Uh, wasn't it just the, the white bit of his pants that was sticking out of his uh, zipper there? I don't know. Who knows? I like to think there's a wang in <laughs> You like to think there's a wang in everything. Yes. <laughs> All right. On that note, thank you, Mitch. Thank you. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. No worries.